you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I am so happy today to be joined by Annie Auerbach. Annie is a seasoned trends forecaster and consultant. She is co-founder of Starling, an agency which keeps brands relevant through understanding cultural change. Previously, she was the co-founder of the Cultural Intelligence Department at Flamingo with over 11 years of experience in cultural foresight, futures, and brand strategy. So is it any wonder then that Annie was on top of the trend around flex pre-pandemic? She has long known that a traditional 95 in office work structure doesn't work for most of us. And her book, Flex, Reinventing Work for a Smarter, Happier Life, was published by HarperCollins and has been featured in the Financial Times, Stella, The Sunday Times Style, Stylist, and Sun. It came out in the US in 2021, helpful during the pandemic for people to have access to this. And she herself embraces Flex and was recognized in 2019 by TimeWise, an organization that features and highlights senior part-timers like Annie as a TimeWise Power founder. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for having me. So as I mentioned, you were on top of Flex pre-pandemic and before it hit. And You know, what's interesting to me about it is that it's not like Flex hasn't been a part of the cultural dialogue over time. I I often or sometimes mention the movie Nine to Five, which came out in 1980, 40 years ago, and it was talking about some of these themes that we think about with Flex. And it's kind of shocking that they haven't really kind of landed in our cultural norms. So you also talk about in the book how this was kind of your icky guy, and I, I am hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. But you said that that's a Japanese concept that means a reason for being that lives at the intersection of like, what do I love? What am I good at? When I, what can I be paid for now? And what does this, the world need? And so you clearly were seeing a need. And I'm curious, what brought the topic of flex into focus for you originally when you considered either your own experience and then also what you were seeing out in the world culturally? Yeah, well, it was exactly that. It was a dual thing that was going on for me. So personally, I had been flexing for about 20 years in various different guises. So I'd been working part-time after I returned from maternity leave after having my two daughters. I'd also been doing a portfolio career where I'd been writing on the side. And uh, alongside my main job, I was the director of an international qualitative research agency. Um, And all the different guises in between, whether it be kind of working from home or compressing my hours and so on. So I'd had personal experience of it. And as you said, there's been a lot of retrenchment and um, kind of fear, I think, in a way of, um, of, of flex. 
um, feeling that, you know, it's, is not something that pertains to a successful career or it doesn't mean that you are ambitious or that you are um, somebody who is in the fast lane of your career. So I experienced all of this flexism, if you like, this kind of prejudice against flex. And I wanted to write something that would be a guidebook um, for people like myself, so they could almost fast forward the bumps in the roads that I had experienced. But as you said as well in your very kind introduction, uh, my day job is that I run a cultural insight agency called Starling, and we identify the big social shifts that are happening. And I could see all these different things coalescing. You know, we're living longer lives, which means we need more sustainable careers, as, as your podcast is so aptly dealing with. Um, we are understanding ourselves better better because of technology so you know we can really understand when we work at our best when we're tired you know what kind of ups and downs and ebbs and flows we have during our day um also working women um more women in the workplace globally but yet this tension at home of they're carrying all the emotional load on their shoulders and so all of these different trends if you like were coming together and it made me feel like we were at a moment of tipping point and then the pandemic happened. Wow. Wow. Well, everyone's so lucky that you were on top of this and that your book was available and getting out there to support people. I'd love to come back to you said, you know, there's this fear around flex. And I think that's true. And I think there's some prejudice against it. And hopefully that's changing now. But it's interesting because I've on the podcast, I've talked with others and you note this in the book as well, that this this alternate way of living, if you will, which is going to start to become perhaps not so alternate, but it has in the past, it goes against cultural norms and it isn't always easy. So do you have any tips to kind of gain the confidence and the courage for as people move further into this world of flex? So people ask for what they want, like where do they find that confidence when I think there's still a bit of prejudice and I think there's still some concern around, around like, okay, if I do choose to move forward with flex, what does this potentially mean for my career? Yeah, I, only today I was speaking to somebody who said, um, yes, we entirely believe in, in flexible working as a business, but what about promotions? If I'm not in the office and I don't have that face time with my superiors, won't they think, you know, out of sight, out of mind? And won't they think that, you know, I'm not visible, therefore I'm not promotable. So I think that exists, um, that completely continues to exist, even though we've proven um, some amazing benefits, both to the employer and the employee of flexible working. Um, in terms of how to um, have the courage uh, to do it, um, uh, I think the first step is really a clarity to yourself. So we all have different um, pressures on our lives and different moments of ambition, which will change over time, depending on what's going on in your life. So um, it might be, you know, I, I, we talked before, you said about the ebbs of, and flows of life, where sometimes you have moments where you feel incredibly ambitious. And sometimes you have life pressures which are hitting and actually all you want is stability um so i think a moment of 
clarity, where you really genuinely say, what is it that I need right now? Um, How could I work at my best? And then it's a moment of kind of chutzpah or bravery, where you go to your um, employer and you explain why this particular template will be mutually beneficial, beneficial to you and beneficial to them. Um, And I think um, it Flex will be different for each individual and will change over time. So it's an ongoing conversation. It's not that we can create one model, nail it down and go, that's me, I'm done. Um, And I think we need to have that courage to be adaptable. And so do businesses. I love that. And I think it's so important, this point that you're making in terms of it's an ongoing dialogue and, and a constant kind of checking in with oneself and gaining clarity uh, to really craft then what you need in the moment to support what's happening in your life in the moment. So that that really makes a ton of sense for me. I, I'm curious too, you say in the book that Flex, and I quote, flex is about a sustainable approach to living and working. And of course, I love that. <laughs> and and it relates directly to sustainable ambition. So your premise is that flex can certainly help. So I'd love to hear just a little bit more about why do you think flex is so important to kind of this idea of establishing for oneself a more sustainable approach? Um, so I think about it in 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 a number of different ways. Um I think there's one element of sustainability, which is really about your energy levels. Um, We know that burnout is such an issue in terms of work culture globally. Um, And even in the pandemic, as we've all pivoted to different ways of working, the actual working day has got longer um, by about an hour on average. Um, So when we think about flexible ways of working, we also need to think about our energy levels throughout the day and throughout our weeks and months and and life and career life. Um, And that's how designing these templates and thinking kind of intentionally about how you want to work can give you hard edges and protect your free time, um, whether that be for um, leisure activities or whether that be for caring for the people around you. Often um, us in the sandwich generation, I'm talking about myself, Gen X, we might have elderly parents and children that we're looking after, um, but people might have ambitions outside the four walls of their work. And so the sustainability there is about um, energy levels. But also I think there's a bigger theme, which is the fact that we are necessarily going to be working longer as adults. Um, Retirement ages are pushing upwards and as we walk, as we as we kind of work in our lives, we will have to have lifelong learning. I think um, we will have to um, adapt. We will have to get new skills. We'll have to understand new technologies. We'll have to leave certain things behind that we always thought were true and and relearn um, how to be and how to act. And I think flexibility is not just about a way of designing time. It's actually about cognitive flexibility and having the ability to kind of um, take on new things, pivot, adapt as you progress through your career. 
This is bringing up and I'm starting to realize because I wanted to ask you one of the things I really love about the book is that you talk about flexibility across these different dimensions. So you talk about flex your work, home, mind, body and future. And we'll probably get into each of those a little bit. But I was curious, is that why, you know, based on what you're just sharing this like need, you saw these different lenses of what it was important to identify for people, because I think people just get fixated on this idea of flexing around work and you're really framing this concept much more broadly. So what brought you to kind of see all those different lenses? Well, it's a kind of discipline that we use at work. So my business Starling, we, we, I don't know whether you've seen um, the murmurations of Starlings. In other words, the birds that come together and fly around and make creative, amazing shapes. And we tend to think about murmurations whenever we're thinking of a problem. In other words, lots of different ideas, lots of different data points, lots of different disciplines. We don't come at something through one angle. And that's really how I thought about flex. Flex is not just about work, part-time work, or you know, working from home, all of these shortcuts that we've developed in our heads. It should be about a more progressive way of living, really, um, and a more progressive way of society working. Um, and that's why I wanted to divide it up into these five different chapters. To be honest, it could have been 10 and, you know, there could have been loads of different areas of flex and relationships um, uh, is one that I wish I'd written about as well. But um, for me, it's a holistic vision of a philosophy that's come of age. Um, and absolutely, it has practical ramifications in the world of work and the future of work. But more broadly, I think it can be quite emancipatory for all of us as people when we think about our rich, very diverse lives. So you were talking about that. Yes, this is a, a broader philosophy around flex. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, we've, we, you were saying that from your perspective, it's not just about work. Are there other things that people, you find that people tend to get wrong about this concept of flex that kind of tends to get in the way, either on an individual level or on a, more of a societal level? So one thing is they shortcut to work. And prior to the pandemic, that was working from uh, that was that was part time working. And that was all about, I guess, um, thinking about if I was going to work flexibly, it would be two or three days a week. And that might have ramifications for my commitment. I might be part time working, part time committed um, during the pandemic. Everybody shortcutted to working from home because that's what we all had to do to keep safe. Um, or office workers at least did, um, knowledge workers. And I think also another um, area where people shortcut is they tend to think about flex as something soft or pliable. If you're a flexible person, perhaps, you know, you bend over backwards. And my vision of flex is actually it has hard edges. When flex works at its best, it has boundaries. Um, we already talked about the fact that um, there's been a kind of time bleed um, during the pandemic where our working days have got longer. We might have avoided the commute, but we've stretched that out. We've got more meetings in our day. Um, we're working later. And I think actually for Flex to work at its very best, it needs to have hard edges. It needs to have boundaries. If you've managed to negotiate a new template, you need to have the courage of your convictions and actually obey your own rules. And I've been very guilty of not doing that in the past. Um, there's a sense that you um, are very grateful 
for the flex that you've been granted and you feel like you need to overperform or performatively work, answer emails when you're not supposed to be, et cetera, because there's a sense of precarity, I guess, that goes with flexibility. And so um, I would I would say, again, that's something that we need to get right. We need to say flexibility is about strength and about boundaries. <laughs> mm, I really like that. Is there, is there a tip or tool that you found that's worked for you in kind of helping yourself hold, hold fast to setting those boundaries? Well, I think it's about understanding um, time in your day. So um, when do you want to stop working? Um, if you can create um, actual physical cues for that. So um, some of us might be lucky enough to have an, a room in which we work. Other of us are working at the kitchen table or on the edge of our beds or on the sofa. But is there a way that we can mark the end of the day so it doesn't dream, sort of bleed into, into, into the time when we could be winding down or doing exercise? Some people during the pandemic as well were putting in a kind of fake commute. So they'd stop the day and go for a walk, get fresh air um, in order to mark that point um, but I think more broadly, it's reminding yourself of why you're doing this mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, you're doing this in order to liberate, not to, um, I, I guess, work harder for longer and get paid less. Well, yeah. Well, and one thing that you said that I thought was really interesting is like this idea of almost you said part time work equals part time committed. And it's also almost like flex equals part time committed. And that's kind of where the fear comes in. And I find that really interesting because I think there's this assumption that flex means you're less productive or flex means you're not as ambitious. And I, I don't think those things are true. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's the opposite, to be honest, because there's been tons of research to show that when you give people autonomy over their time, they're as productive or more productive. Um, so, you know, this this fear that we'd all shirk from home, that hasn't been the case at all. Um, But more importantly, I think, when you have the courage to look within and be innovative about your own life and be creative about the way you work, that speaks to a mindset that is massively needed in today's workplace. So in other words, not thinking along the lines of the status quo, but reimagining and having the energy, optimism, ambition to think, how could things be better? If somebody's doing that with their own life, they're going to do that with your business too. So for me, it's a superpower. Um, On that note, I've often seen a kind of vague prejudice against parents in the workplace in the sense that, oh, are these the guys that are going to have like one foot out the door? Are these guys going to be the ones that just want to take holiday, um, you know, during the school holidays and so on? But I would, again, like to flip that paradigm and see parents as having skills outside work, which are around negotiation, which are around nurturing, nurturing talent, um, you know, conflict resolution, all of this stuff, which is supremely useful in the workplace, instead of seeing their life stage is something that's a Achilles heel or, you know, um, about, about a lack of ambition, actually see it as a huge strength that you can inject back into the workplace. 
Yeah. Yeah. So important. We've had others on the podcast who have said a similar thing and said exactly that, you know, instead of people seeing like parenthood as being like you're saying this Achilles heel that you, you actually gain all these additional skill sets that are highly, highly relevant to the workplace and actually make parents better workers for employers. So, um, you know, I think you'd have others certainly echoing what you just shared. Um, I did want to come back to as well, like around work, you know, even though we're saying this, we're going to go through some other areas, but around work, what I thought was really great about what you have in the book is that you talk about some of these other aspects are part ways to kind of maybe negotiate working with organizations that I don't think people always keep in mind. I think they kind of say, um, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I work just a couple of days a week or something like that. But you had things like flexi hours or flexi timetabling. Can you like, what, what does that look like? What is that for people? Yeah. So these are just the, so I listed in the book because I was really keen to um, to uh, sort of look at the myth that flex is just one thing, which it isn't. So I came up with lots of different potential flexible templates, but caveat, more are being invented as we speak. And so there'll be loads more. But so, for example, you might be familiar with job sharing, which is two people taking the work and pay of, of a single full, full-time job. Flexi hours is when we work a set amount of core hours from the office. So, for example, if you're a parent, you might um, do something like 10 to 3 p.m. in order to do the school run and you work the remainder in your own time. Location flex is another one we're really familiar with. That doesn't have to be working from home. It could be working from anywhere. Um, flexi timetabling people create their own timetable which suits their own needs for example um, we might talk about this later but the notion of circadian rhythms if you're a night owl you might want to um, create a later working day where you start later and finish later Um, or perhaps it's about missing an awkward commute Um, so you might want to miss rush hour and and push your hours to a different direction Um, There's another one which is around phased retirement. Older workers can reduce their hours gradually and work part-time before transitioning to full-time retirement. So tons of different um, angles. Essentially, I guess it's summed up, if you were given autonomy over your time, what would you design? Mm. Yeah. And I love, I just loved having all those different options for people to consider because again, people I think aren't to your point getting into the space of reimagining. And I think it's such the perfect time for it right now. So we talk about the great resignation. People are bringing different terms to this great reevaluation and you're saying great reimagining. And I think it's a perfect time for people to kind of think about like, okay, if I could reimagine what this would look like for me and go and negotiate that with my organization, what might that look like? So um, I just wanted to make sure we featured those. And yet I'm I'm curious, Annie, on the flip side of that too, sometimes I'm just going to be transparent about this. Sometimes I think about being the manager on the other side. And I've also worked in an agency and you're making it work for your agency. So, but I'm curious, like what makes work flex work with companies when they are allowing this kind of flexibility for individuals? Like, are there challenges that come up in terms of coordination or how do you handle urgent issues? Or is it like, yeah, you just have to 
create some processes and solves for how to handle some of those things. And I think at this stage in the pandemic, again, as people go back, there's a time to, as you're saying, reimagine how we actually get work done and do it in a way that supports flex. So I was curious if you have any tips or around like how to avoid maybe some of the challenges that you've even experienced over time or that you hear from others when they start to, you know, really support people having more flex. Yeah, it's a really great point. I mean, I think that um, when I've spoken to managers during the pandemic, oh my goodness, they were feeling really burnt out because they were coping with um, a huge explosion of logistics, really. And there was, I think in the past, we'd relied on this notion of proximity to get us through. So we were all sat in the same place at the same time. And we didn't really have to think carefully about how stuff was done because we could just pop over to somebody's desk. And, you know, there was all this informality around it. And now you're right, we have to design systems um, and we have to be very, very clear about communications, um, make sure everybody knows exactly what's expected and when it's expected. Timetabling is really important, I think. Um, And we need more time to manage, that's the thing. All of that stuff can't be squeezed into the edges of days, otherwise you have very overwrought set of managers. Um, So I think it needs um, specific time in the diary. I think it needs um, a a space where we think intentionally about what new systems need to work for us. Um, What does a a kind of a journey look like over the average week and who's doing what at each point? And again, these things don't need to be nailed down because, you know, this is a point where we can listen and learn and go, you know, and understand that it might not be working for people and therefore what can we tweak? Um, But my broad rule is we need more time and intention and um, space given to these problems because we can't rely on the informality that we used to. Yeah, yeah, makes a ton of sense. Can you say, what is timetabling? Well, I think it's just drawing out a journey of what needs to be done over the average week. And again, Mm. that would be something that people would do intuitively. But if we can understand what our team's doing, who's doing what at what point, um, and being able to understand what point we need to come together, what point we can um, just have kind of more solo siloed work where we're working in headphones, when would it be really good where we'd be face to face because we need to make decisions and that. So I, I think I think when you when you when you timetable it, you understand those points of intersection, those points of um, kind of expansion and solo work um, and what needs to be done at each each stage. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I can imagine, so I, I wanted to transition to talking about home a little bit, and I can imagine that time of, a type of timetabling also being helpful for if you have a partner, if you have a family, doing that type of um, timetabling and figuring out how your schedule works together. Um, and then, but on a longer term kind of view too, one of the things I loved about the book too, was that you talked about this idea of if you have a partner and you're managing career is this idea of the Borgen model. And I I think this caught me too, because I was a little, it came out in the United States a little bit later than it did in Europe. And it it ended up getting on my radar a little bit later. And it was one of my favorite pandemic shows. I'm actually really missing watching the show. I should just (laughs) rewatch it again. But I know they're going to come out with a new season uh, at some point. So, but how do you think about this idea of flex around like managing part, like if you're in a relationship and you each are ambitious, what's this idea of the Borgen model? 
So, so it is this show that I was inspired by, which um, uh, the, the female protagonist actually ends up being prime minister. And she has a discussion with her partner about how that's going to work over the next, you know, five, 10 years or whatever. And they come up with this idea that, you know, this is your time and I will take a, a, a slower lane and I will look after everything that needs to be looked after in the in the home whilst having my career as well. But then at some point we do need to swap, right? And I won't spoil the series. It doesn't necessarily work in, in, a, in, a, in a very fluid way. Um, but it did make me think about instead of doing what I tended to do, which was firefight in all honesty, you know, what are you doing this week? Can you pick up the kids? Can I do this? Actually, somebody needs to buy this for my mum. Can we, and, and everything felt, um, I guess, uh, kind of an immediate thing to deal with. Could we think slightly more intentionally about it and say, what do you, where are you at right now? Um, what do you want from the next few years? from your career, from my career, um, could we could we be more um, proactive around the planning? Um, you know, could we actually, somebody have a bit more elasticity in their working lives while the other one maybe is pushing it? Um, and I, I, you know, I don't pretend to have it nailed at all. I think it's something that you, you need to, constantly keep talking through but it did make me think you know I don't think um we give enough attention to it and that's just if you have a partner of course you know there's um in the in the UK um the family demographic is changing really rapidly and for the first time um women over 30 I think it's about 50 percent of women over 30 don't have children and there's this real rise of child-free living. Um, I would love to get into that and understand what that means for careers, for sustainability, for energy, for all of the above. Um, so yes, the, the tendency is not to sort of default to a 2.4, you know, old version of what the family looks like at home. I think households are evolving very, very quickly. And we need to think about that when we design work templates too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, this is one of the areas too, where, you know, we're talking about what you can negotiate within the home. And then what I would love to see is like, how do employers actually support that? And I've been starting to think about this idea. It's often that organizations talk about when they evaluate people, at least in my old world and some of the companies I worked with, they use this, what's your performance and what's your potential? And yet they don't, you know, they're, what's tied into that idea of potential is almost the speed, this idea of moving fast and moving up quickly. And yet there's not this um, space for the idea of pace and this idea of actually, hey, I actually want to take a role. Now, some companies do this, but we're like, they say like, hey, I want to take a role that's, I'm still in the game. Game, but it's just not as intense so that I can manage what I'm balancing with life and with my partner's needs. And then you're still with, again, the organization, you're still high potential, but oftentimes those two things get conflated, which is really just too bad, really. Mm, yeah, I think, I think you've articulated that brilliantly. And I think it's also about you know, understanding that the career path, um, there's a brilliant book which is written um, called The Squiggly Career. Um, you know, the career path, this is a little bit more meandering. Um, we're not in an age where we have a job for life and it's about 
climbing the greasy pole or climbing the career ladder and everything is very, very linear. Um, you know, we're in a place where we might want to swap careers or reskill or retrain or, as you say, have moments of, um, of stability and then moments of, of, of momentum. Um, so, you know, if, if businesses are really concerned with retention, they need to have new ways of thinking about that. Um, yeah, so it's not just um, progress, 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 meaning one thing. Progress can mean meandering. It can mean different paces of life as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And you, you talked about even around this idea, cause we've talked a lot about kind of like longevity or career or being this, like the ebbing and flowing. And you, you also talked about in the book, um, the stat of how our every seven years, our cells turn over. And, you know, you've also talked about this idea of like flexing your mind and being more creative and kind of, um, you know, you, you note how only 9% of people have their best ideas at the office. So I'm kind of combining a couple of things here, but I'm kind of curious how even those two ideas, this idea of kind of nurturing your flex in mind, nurturing your flex for the future and how that can support you as you're kind of to this point of a squiggly career kind of help you have what I kind of call like a regenerative career and support you during this time. It's an, it's another way how this mindset around flex can really be supportive to this idea of sustainability. Yes, absolutely. And so to take, I guess, your first point around the seven years, um, I wrote an article recently, actually, which which was about that with, with this idea that supposedly seven years, as you say, is this period where your cells rejuvenate. So you're almost reborn. <laughs> you're almost a, a fresh person after that period. But also it's a chunky period of time in which probably change will have happened. So you might have moved from education to work. You might have started a new relationship, ended a relationship. You might have moved um, different city or, or uh, di different country even. And so it, 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 it's, it seems a sensible amount of time in order to reassess um, and so, you know, I think a lot of us kind of just react to life and we react to our careers. But this gives us the nudge to reassess. And I thought three big questions you could ask yourself um, in order to have a more sustainable career would be at this point, what should I leave behind? So what have I not appreciated, enjoyed, et cetera, over the last seven years? Were there any red flags? Are there any non-negotiables? And that can steer us towards businesses and cultures that actually align better with our own needs and our own views when you think about where I want to be. Um, the other question which you need to ask is what has changed in my life? That's a big one um, because that does deal with, as you put it, the ebbs and flows. Um, ambition doesn't follow a set trajectory. Life throws curveballs. Things change. And so um, almost writing a list of what has changed since you last checked in with yourself and therefore what would be a good template and the final thing is what drives me? Motivations change over life. You know, sometimes um, it's about money and status. Sometimes it's about autonomy. Sometimes it's about um, feeling like you're doing something that really aligns with your passions or indeed aligns with what you think the world needs right now. So do I still define success in the same way? And if not, 
then, um, you know, how can I how can I change my course in order to properly align? Um, so that is to your first point around this kind of seven years idea. Um, and the second point, I think you were talking about creativity um, and um, the fact that people don't necessarily come up with their best ideas when they're sat staring at screen. I don't know if you do. Um, or, or <laughs> I think very few people do. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and yet when we're sort of tied to quite intense, long days staring at a screen, um, it squeezes that out. So I did want to put a chapter in the book, which was all about flex and your mind and cognitive flexibility um, and these ways of developing more creative spaces in your life. Are there any tricks and tips that we can have in order to I don't know, escape that screen culture, escape also the echo chambers that we fall into where, you know, we believe something because we're hearing the same thing over and over again. And it feels very hard to, you know, stop, pause, reconsider and make new connections. So that's why I wanted to give proper time in the book to that. It's such an important element. And I, what I appreciate about it too, is that it's an, you know, you, we will come back to maybe in corollary with this, the flex of the body, because I think that's where people often go in terms of energy. And we talk all, often about productivity, but one of the things that's been showing up for me, and I think relates to this idea of creativity, Annie, is that as I've talked with people, what's, what's, I've known this, but it's been popping up in recent conversations was just this idea that sometimes actually those energizing activities are what helps sustain you as opposed to just taking time off or stepping away from things. And so it's almost like you often think when you're overwhelmed and you're not, you're feeling like things aren't sustainable, that you need to cut back. And sometimes people actually, or, or, take time away. Or one person that I was talking to was like, I thought that maybe I needed to just take more vacation, but actually it was like, oh, I actually think I need more stimulation. I'm realizing I need to be talking. I'm missing this element of being able to serendipitously meet somebody new and have a really interesting conversation that jazzes me. And so part of what I'm picking up from this idea that you're talking about too, in terms of creativity, and I think it's really important right now, I think, as we are at the stage of the pandemic, um, because I know for me, even knowing all this and doing the work that I do, I'm struggling a little bit with flex where I'm, I'm really trying to figure out, okay, with my, with my, um, schedule. Like for me, I'm realizing, uh, staying at home all the time is not so healthy for me. I I'm feeling like I need some new creative rejuvenation and I'm trying to figure that out for myself. Yeah. It's a massively important thing. Um, there's something, um, that I think we've all noticed during the pandemic, which is this concept of the hedonic treadmill. In other words, life can feel very sane. Like, you know, you like, hang on, what day is it? what month is it? And you can't remember what happened last year and your phone pops up with a memory and you think, did that happen? And I think that's because, you know, the the markers of life um, have been sort of taken away and everything can feel very safe and it can drain the color as well, I think. And depending on whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I think, or, or somewhere in between, 
I think it's important because some of us gain our energy and our inspiration from bouncing off other people or bouncing off culture or ideas. And some of us need quiet time to consider and contemplate. Um, and we need to be honest with ourselves of what, what, what it is really that we need. Um, but the notion of inspiration from stimulation is a big deal. Um, it's partly why Starling takes the summer off um, because um, the summer is um, a chunk of time in, in, in the UK where um, the kids have a period of holiday. Um, it, it's quite a long time. It's, it's six or seven weeks. Um, I'm aware that that's a finite amount of time. And at some point they won't want to spend that time with us, but also it's a, it's a period of time to um, study. I wrote a book during that period of time. I took time off and I rested, but I also read, um, traveled, um, met new people. And it's a time for kind of synapses to fizz as well. Um, if you're in constant productivity mode and you're churning stuff, then you're not leaving time for serendipitous, as you say, serendipitous moments of connection, um, with people, with ideas to happen. So um, yes, those those pause moments don't have to be inactive. Those pause moments can be kind of vibrant and energized. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people just have to be reminded again, even those like small moments of pause when they have their ahas, that's like, it's just expanding that. Imagine what you did if you did more than just take a shower each day and gave yourself a little bit more space. So, um, well, as we come to the end of our conversation, Annie, I wanted to just ask you a couple of final questions. One was just, you've been living this and you said for about 20 years, you've been living with Flex and testing different things out. And I'm curious, what you have learned on the other side of this is you've kind of created your own life with more flex in it. Um, what are some lessons you've learned? Um, I think for the first one is be proud of what you're doing rather than thinking what you're doing is a compromise or something that's not normal and out of the status quo, something you need to apologize around. Um, I think, again, we've mentioned this before in the conversation, but this is a profoundly creative act <laughs> when you think um, about life and work and how you can live at your best. So pride um, and ambition should be things that you feel. I really do think that you need to acknowledge that flex is in flux. It will change over time as you change. And so we shouldn't really nail things down. We should treat this as a moment of ambition, of reimagining, as you said before. Um, this is a time where we can really change the things that have held us back. So now is not the time to think small. Now is the time to think big um, and really just enjoy as well. It can feel like a logistical nightmare, <laughs> but I think what's on the other side of this is a proper liberation um, and hopefully a, a new dawn for the way that we um, we really live. Yeah, oh, I love all of that. And I love this idea of really being proud and recognizing actually it is an ambitious act to lean into flex. Um, I really, really love that. And this idea that, because it does take courage and you should be proud of 
charting a different course and really crafting something new for oneself. And frankly, you know, others have said this on the podcast too. When you start doing it yourself, you model, like you've been recognized yourself, Annie, for living, you know, for championing flex. And it's by modeling it that people see that it's even possible. So that's really wonderful. Um, I know I just asked you like what you've learned, but is there like a final takeaway that you'd leave our listeners with around flex or an idea of like, if they were going to start someplace, where might you point them? Look within <laughs> before you start, um, you know, reimagining. Um, it needs, a, as we said, that moment of reconsideration, that moment of pause. Give yourself that space and time to say, what What is it that I actually need right now? Um, and then, and then, as I say, think big. But also, let me know. <laughs> I'm so interested in new models and new ways of thinking about things. So I think it does feel like it's not an individual thing. It does feel like it's a movement. Um, you know, the flex pioneers have been doing this for years and they have lessons that they can help us all with. They can, you know, what they have learned, but also it's something that is gaining in huge momentum. And um, I'm just excited to be a part of it and to hear more about how change is happening. Mm, so great. Well, where can people find you and keep in touch or share their insights or their learning with you? Where is it best for them to do that? Um, so uh, I'm on Twitter at Annie Auerbach um, and on Instagram as well, Annie.Auerbach. And also um, you can have a look at starlingstrategy.co.uk, which is where um, uh, our work is and um the ideas around uh, cultural change and insight and social change. If you're interested in any of that, please have a look and get in touch. Wonderful. Wonderful. And of course, I'll capture that all in the show notes. Annie, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your experiences for the book, for putting this out there and really championing it and modeling it for all of us. Um, I'm really excited about what's possible and encouraging people to really step into this and, you know, see that they can uh, reimagine things and create a different way of living and working for themselves that really is more sustainable. So thanks so much for being on with me today. Oh, Kathy, thank you so much. It's been a fascinating conversation and a real honor to chat with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.